Amen. How's it? It's been a good morning? Yeah. Okay. Well, a couple, like five people are having a good morning. That's okay. That's good. I've been having a good morning. Uh, we got an extra hour of sleep last night. That was awesome, right? Did anybody take advantage of that? Did anybody just stay up an hour later? Yes. Yes, that's where I lived at. That's okay. Uh, we just finished a fun and an exciting series. If you're just joining us, we just finished a fun and exciting series in the book of Leviticus. And I know that usually fun and exciting do not pair well with Leviticus in your brains. And I get that. But I think we had a great time. I think it was really good uh, to dig into the book of Leviticus and have fun just seeing uh, all of the different things that God, we didn't even get to scratch the surface, to be honest. We only spent five weeks there. And I think we could have spent like 15 or 20 weeks there because there's so much stuff in the book of Leviticus for us to cover, but we went five weeks and had a great time. I think God revealed some amazing things to us uh, during the course of those five weeks. So um, and we're going to, so we just came out of that and we're going to be going ju in just a few weeks into a Christmas, hard to believe, Christmas and Advent uh, season where we're going to go through that sort of uh, series leading up to Christmas. Is anybody excited about Christmas? <laughs> yep. Is anybody already playing Christmas music? Oh, well, there's one hand. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. I, I, I did. Okay, I have to admit, I'm a stickler. Uh, I used to be a stickler. Uh, it was, it was it, not until your, the Thanksgiving meal is digested uh, do, do I listen to Christmas music um, is usually my rule. But over the last few years, I've kind of gotten a little lenient. Now it's like the day or two before Thanksgiving because now we've been getting our tree a little earlier. So I've, I've loosened up a little bit, loosened the reins. Uh, and I did listen to Christmas music this week, but it was more in preparation for what we're going to be doing at Christmas and just kind of helping to screen some music and look through some different things. And so uh, I, somebody was, I told somebody I wasn't listening for joy. It wasn't for pleasure. I was just, I'm just listening to the words and the melodies. I'm not enjoying what I'm listening to. Uh, it's, I'm not having a Christmas spirit right now, but um, we'll get there. I love Christmas. And so I'm so excited that that's on the way. Uh, Thanksgiving is, is a nice stop uh, in the journey to Christmas. And so excited about that as well. Uh, so we're going to have over the next few weeks, because we have that coming up, we just came out of something big. We're just going to have a few sort of one-off messages, a few uh, little, little just things uh, that basically... Um, I'm kind of asking the Holy Spirit to show me the things that we need to talk about and, and study during this time. We may have, uh, I think we have one or maybe two uh, guest speakers lined up that are going to come in during this time as well uh, over the next month. And so uh, just excited to kind of have some variety and some different stuff. And then we're going to go hard into uh, the Christmas season. That's going to be great. So this week, uh, I think God led me to Romans chapter eight, which in my opinion is probably one of the greatest chapters in all of scripture. All right, so Romans chapter 8, uh, the 8th chapter of Romans, it, it really begins, uh, begins with this idea of no condemnation, and it ends with this idea of no separation, and in between, it talks about no defeat. The chapter explains the gospel and the plan of salvation, uh, the life of freedom and victory, the hopelessness of man and the righteousness of the born-again believer. It touches on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of the body, and the hope of Christ's return. Uh, it, it addresses the, the working together uh, of, of all things for our good, and, and of course, the glorious song of triumph at the end, that there will be no separation in time or eternity from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so it covers us so much in this chapter is such, it's really hard to even outline the chapter. If you wanted to try to outline it and, and nail everything and put everything in a nice little categories, it's really hard to do because there's so much that's talked about here in this particular chapter. And there's so much that we could talk about here this morning, but I felt the Lord leading me today to focus on one verse specifically and kind of a couple of verses around it for context. 
So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Romans 8, and I want to start with one simple yet profound verse that is really the basis of everything we're going to talk about this morning, verse 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You, you are more than a conqueror. I know that that might not seem... It might not seem like everything's going your way at this particular time, that everything's, it doesn't seem like everything's happening and falling into place right here and right now. And so, so it seems kind of hard for you to wrap your mind around and grasp this idea that you are more than a conqueror right now because you don't feel very victorious. Tragedy strikes. Listen, bad things happen to good people. We get that. We understand that. Tragedy strikes. Tragedy befalls us. Uh, pain is impartial. You and I, we both have scars. But when everything is said and done, you are not a victim. You are more than a conqueror. I love the words that, um, I don't know if you read any morning devotionals or anything like that, but one of the ones that I, that I look at frequently is, uh, is one by a man named Oswald Chambers. Uh, he writes one called My, My Utmost for His Highest. And he says this, we got one fan in the house. Uh, he says this, I love this. He says, no power on earth or in hell can conquer the spirit of God in a human spirit. No power on earth or in hell can conquer the spirit of God in the human spirit. You see, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us if you're a believer. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Come on somebody, that's exciting news. So what Chambers says is he calls it an inner unquenchableness, right? I don't think that's in the dictionary, but I like it, all right? This is, it's the message of this verse. There's an inner unquenchableness for those of us who follow Christ. So the title, if you, I don't know if it was up there, the title uh, for today's message is More Than Conquerors. More than conquerors. And, and it's interesting because in the Greek, uh, if you look at the Greek syntax, actually, this, this is really one word. It's a compound word, but the more than conquerors is one word, and it literally means hyper-conqueror. Hyper-conqueror. That's, that's like our title. We are more than conquerors. We are hyper-conquerors. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I introduce myself uh, to people, generally, I use my birth name, not my birthright. All right? So generally, I say, hi, I'm Robbie. I'm not suggesting this weekend that you go off and start telling people, instead of using your name, you use your birthright. Hi, uh, I'm hyper, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, uh, my name is, is Hyper Conqueror. Um, that's not going to play out, and, and that's not going to go, go the way you think, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but, but that's exactly who you are in Christ. That would be an accurate phrase. That's your identity. A hyper conqueror, more than a conqueror in Christ. That is who you are. That is your destiny. And to think of yourself as anything less than who God says you are in Christ is honestly false humility. Then we walk around deflated because we don't understand our true identity, who we are in Jesus. And I want to give you a few points this morning uh, to, that, that will focus on and tell us how to embrace and live in this idea of being more than a conqueror. And so we just have like three points that we're going to touch on. The first one is embrace your identity. Embrace your identity. I want you to jot this down. Pride is believing something about yourself that is not true. Pride is believing something about yourself that is not true. False humility is not believing something about yourself that is true. I don't know which one we have a bigger problem with, to be honest. I guess it depends on who you are and your personality. 
But this I know for sure. You are not a victim. You are not damaged goods. Am I speaking to somebody today? You are not whatever label our culture puts on you. You are not your IQ. Is is that helping somebody? You're not your IQ. You are not whatever degrees or titles you have. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That's what the word says we are. That's what God says we are. That is your identity. That's what Romans 8.37 says. So I want you to follow this train of thought with me for a moment. If you are a child of God, all right, and you are, that means you are a child of the king, and that makes you a prince or a princess. I have two beautiful girls, so I know a lot about some Disney princesses. And I know that when, when I say that you are a princess or a prince in this, in this house this morning. That sounds a little Disney-ish. It sounds a little kiddie. It sounds a little elementary, and I get that. And it may come across as a little bit make-believe, a little pretend time for me to, to call you that. And, and, and if I say I call my, my daughters that, I call them Princess Ainsley and Princess Naomi when we're playing and having fun and, and carrying on, I know that seems a little kid-like. You got to throw in Prince Levi for that matter. But that's how I see them. And that is who they are as daughters and a son of God. It doesn't mean that you have to wear a tiara on your head, but you do have to continually remind yourself of who you are in Christ, embracing your identity in Christ. Did you know that the name Israel, uh, which we now know is a nation, but it was actually a name uh, before it, it, was, it was a person before. Uh, so it means prince of God. The name Israel means prince of God. Jacob's name, the name Jacob meant deceiver. It actually meant deceiver. But when God, what, what did God do whenever, I don't know if you remember the story or you remember this, and I'll, I'll give you a little Bible lesson if you, if you don't remember this. Uh, God came in and he, he said, uh, you are no longer a deceiver Jacob, I'm going to change your name. You are now a prince of God. I'm going to call you Israel. Listen, I came here to tell you this morning that what God did for Jacob, he has done for each one of us. The way that God changed Jacob's name, changed his identity, changed who he is, God has done for each one of us. Whether we realize it or not, that's who we are. By the way, Seven times in the book of Revelation, there's this little phrase. Uh, It says, to the one who conquers, to the one who conquers, to him who overcomes, and and to each one is attached a promise. One of my favorites is in Revelation uh, 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear uh, what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him, take note of this, a white stone with what? A new name written on it. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone, and no one knows except the one who receives it. I have one of the most southern names of all time. All right? It, it, I'm convinced it may be the most southern name ever conceived from a person's brain. James Robert Earl Jr. That might not sound too bad, uh, right, as, as I say this out, but let's break it down a little bit into nicknames, shall we? James, if you're, if you're a James in the house, you know that one of the nicknames is Jim. All right, so a lot of Jameses go by Jim, and a lot of Roberts also go by Bob. And so we get, in that case, Jim Bob Earl Jr., if you were to break my name down in that way which is four first names. It's crazy. And it's all Southern. It's just all South Carolina right there. 
Listen, church, my parents gave me a name, but that is not my true name. That is not the truest name that reflects my identity or my destiny. That is a name that only God knows, and he'll reveal it to me on the other side of eternity. And church, when he calls you by that name, your life is going to make sense. The plans and the purposes of God, the way he has wired you, it will all make sense in that moment. That's what Revelation 2.17 tells us. So if you are in Christ, you are a child of God, that makes you more than a conqueror. And if that isn't how you see yourself, then I don't think you've come to terms yet with who God says you are. Because you are more than a conqueror in Christ. So let's go back to Romans 8.37 for just a moment. It says, in all these things, he starts out with, in all these things. And, and so we want to read for context. We want to understand what does this mean? What is Paul referencing here whenever he says, in all these things? So let's look at the verse before, or two verses before, verse 35. Uh, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? <clears throat> shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul starts with a question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's not to say our love for Christ, but his love for us. Who's going to separate his love for us? Who's going to stand in between that love? Specifically, in how he demonstrated that love for us through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. That's how he demonstrated the love. He died on a cross for us as a propitiation or a substitution for our sins. That's how he demonstrated. Who's going to stand in between that is what Paul's saying. And then he gives this laundry list of all of these worst-case scenarios from trouble uh, to danger and everything in between. And, and what I want you to understand is that Paul is not speaking hyperbole or hypothetically here. He's speaking from experience. He's speaking from, from the heart. He's speaking from memory. Each of the words on this list are there for a reason. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you know that there is probably a painful memory attached to each one of these. He remembers the shipwreck during the typhoon on the Mediterranean Sea when he says tribulation. I wonder if when he says persecution, if it brings back the memory of, of getting stoned and left for dead, dragged out of the town during his first missionary journey, stoned and left for dead. I wonder if he thinks about that whenever he talks about tribulation. When he writes danger, remember the apostle Paul stood before the evil emperor. He was in his life was in danger. So each one of these has a memory attached to it. Then Paul receives the maximum sentence of, of 40 lashes minus one. Not one time, but five times. Now by my count, that's 195 scars that crisscross Paul's back. Listen, I don't know what your resume of pain and suffering looks like, church, but I do believe that no matter what has happened to you, you can overcome it through Christ Jesus. I also know that the enemy wants you to play the victim and he wants you to roll over and play dead. But I want you to hear this. You are not defined by what others have done to you. You are defined by what Christ has done for, for you. Let me say that again. I want to make sure you get that. You are not defined by what others have done to you. You are defined by what Christ has done for you. I know some of you have walked through some tough stuff. 
And I want you to know that I'm in no way discrediting the, the physical or emotional abuse that some of you have suffered. The heartache that some of you have endured, the tragedy that some of you have felt, the addictions that some of you have had to overcome. I get it. Many of us have faced some tough stuff, but so did Jesus. He had emotional scars that, that sometimes are, are just as real as physical scars. In fact, they can be, and you may know this and you may relate to this, just as debilitating sometimes, but you are still not a victim because, church, you are more than a conqueror. That's who we are. That's our identity. Embrace your identity. That's the number one. That's the first thing. Number two, don't give into fear. Have you ever been in a situation where you tell yourself you are, you are not going to do something and then you do it anyways? Like, like maybe, let me give you a scenario. Like maybe I have to confront my boss. I have to confront my boss, but I'm not going to give in this time. I'm going to stand my ground. But then you give in anyways. Or maybe let's flip it the other way around. Like I'm going to give this person a piece of my mind. I'm going to tell them what I really think. But then you have the conversation and you never go anywhere near it. You just back off. Paul describes this paradox of human behavior in, in Romans 7, 18. We're going to go back a chapter. Uh, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. How many of us have felt that way before? For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Somebody tell me you've been there before like I have. We've, we've probably all been there. Maybe some of us are there right now. I feel like so much of my life honestly comes back to this. I, I did it again. I, I went off and I, I did the thing I said I wouldn't do, what I didn't want to do. And I didn't do what I wanted to do. In, in, in psychology, uh, there is something called a, a double bind. Um, and, and, and if it, there's this, this idea of a, a double bind, like if I say to you, uh, let's be spontaneous, then you can't be spontaneous because I just told you to do it. So it's a, it's a, double, it's a double bind. That's what a double bind is. And I, I think that whenever we focus on what we don't want to do, who we don't want to be, it's almost like a spiritual double bind. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to focus on what you fear. And this is tough across the board. Let me speak as a parent for a second. I think one of the toughest things as a, as a dad, as a parent, is, is not giving in to the fears, right? Like, I, Jen is much better at this than I am, but if I see my kid running, my first instinct is like, slow down, stop, take it easy, let's, you know, just walk. You can get there safely if you just walk. You don't have to run, in which case you're going to fall and hurt and hit your head and, you know, something bad is going to happen. Like, I, I have this just fear, this kind of dad angst where I don't want to see my kids get hurt, Right? Like every time they run through the yard or climb the monkey bars or jump on the bed, then, then I notice there's danger. I have this dad sense of danger that they might get hurt. Every time they go to school, I know that something could happen at school. Now think about the culture that we're in, and, it, and if you aren't careful as a parent, you can, fear can rob you of the joy of watching the grace of God play out in your kid's life. 
So here, here's what I'm saying, and I know some of you aren't parents, and, and maybe that's, that, that example doesn't resonate with you, but, but that example could be used across many different areas of our life. And so let me, let me give you the, the long and short of it. What I'm saying is don't parent out of fear. Don't lead out of fear. Don't live out of fear. A fear-based approach to life is not God's plan for you. A few verses prior in Romans 8, it says it this way. It says, uh, for you did not receive, and this is verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Pair that with 1 John 4, 18, where it says that the love of God casts out all fear. The love of God actually casts out all fear. Fear Fear runs from the love of God. The love of God is like a restraining order against fear. It's a cease and desist. But you see, the enemy is a bully. The enemy is, is a bully and his bark is worse than his bite. 1 Peter 5.8 says that he prowls around like a roaring lion. The key word here is like. He's not a roaring lion. But he prowls like one. He's an imposter. And if we allow him to, he's going to play tricks on us. And what I'm getting at is this. Don't let fear dictate your decisions. Instead, let's be people that live by faith. Let's not give in to fear. That's how we can continue to become more than conquerors. And so here's the third one that runs right into this, live by faith. Live by faith. We've heard this definition before. I've used this many times, uh, but, but here's the kind of a definition of faith, a working definition. But faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In order to truly know that we are more than conquerors, we have to live by faith. Live in such a way that shows God that we trust and believe in his direction and in his process. Here's the key, verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, I am sure, I am convinced. The KJV says, I am persuaded. Paul is writing his deepest commitments, his deepest uh, convictions here. The same guy that endured the danger and the tribulation and the trials and the distress and the persecution that we talked about a few moments ago. When he looks back at his life, when he looked at all that he had been through and all that he had seen and experienced, this is the only conclusion that he could come to. I am convinced, I am sure of God's goodness. I am sure of God's love. I am sure of God's providence. There is an immense amount of faith there. Faith in who God is and faith in who we are in him. Faith in God's promises, faith in God's goodness, faith in salvation. This is the kind of faith that we need, church. This is the kind of faith that starts a revival. Paul has been through it all, but he trusts in God. He puts his faith in him. I'm talking about the kind of faith that allowed the Israelite armies to march around the most fortified city known to man in Canaan for seven days, and instead of attacking with swords, they blew trumpets. That's the kind of faith I'm talking about. The faith where where a little shepherd boy named David stepped out when no one else would to, to fight and take down the fiercest warrior of the Philistine army and then eventually became king and became a man after God's own heart. That kind of faith. I'm talking about the kind of faith that allowed Joshua to pray and for God to make the sun stand still for a day so that they could defeat the Amorites. 
or the kind of faith that calls a group of guys to cut a hole in the roof over the place where Jesus was teaching so they could lower their friend down so that he could be healed because he was paralyzed from the waist down and he wanted to be healed by God. They had faith that if they could just get him there, he would be healed in that moment. Church, we need to have the kind of faith that says, though you slay me, still I will trust you. Though you cut me down, I will still follow you. I will still have faith in you. I will still give you my all because God, you are good. God, you are perfect. Your ways are holy and righteous and I am more than a conqueror in you. That's the kind of faith we're talking about. The love of God is so rich, is so pure. God is love and we can put our faith in the God that loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. You see, the love of God is not logical. It's theological. The love of God is not something you can mentally comprehend. I think we can only truly experience, through it, experience it through a revelation of God. It has to get from the, the head to the heart, to the gut. We've got we've to feel the love of God. This isn't information, church. We're talking about transformation. This is the very thing that transforms our lives. It's the love of God that changes everything. So I want to go back. I want to go back to the, those verses we were just talking about, the verses uh, 38 through 39. Let me zoom in on one part, and I want to talk about height nor depth. There's so much we can talk about in this verse, but we don't, we don't have a lot of time to, to dive into it that much. But I want to talk about height nor depth. You see, the furthest galaxy... Those are my Googling skills here. The furthest galaxy from us, depending on who you ask, is one called GN-Z11, which is a very creative and uh, well-thought-out name, I think. Um, really rolls off the tongue. It's a galaxy that is 13.3 billion light years away. Okay? So, so spatially speaking, it's the highest height I could think of or maybe the furthest distance, I don't know. The deepest depth I could come up with is the Challenger Deep. All right, this is a trench uh, that runs about 6.85 miles beneath the U.S. territory of Guam in, in the ocean. It, it's 6.85 6 miles deep. Uh, and, it, and, and by the way, water pressure at that depth is, is about 1,000 times greater than the atmospheric pressure at sea level. So, so all that to say, and what that means, if, if you don't really care about science and whatever, that means you would not last a second in that kind of pressure. You would literally be crushed like a can. You wouldn't last at all. You would be crushed, but the love of God will sustain you. You see what I'm saying? This is, this is, it's stronger. The love of God is stronger, is a much stronger force than whatever pressure you are experiencing, even at that depth, and even with that much pressure. That's what verse 38 is telling us. It doesn't matter how high or how deep, how much pressure, and how many light years away, nothing can separate us from the love of God. It is, it is unstoppable. And you could put your faith in that. Even if you could escape time and space, you still couldn't escape his love. His love goes beyond the borders of space and beyond the boundaries of time. Here's what I'm getting at. The issue is, is not, church, how lovable you are. The issue is how loving God is. There is nothing you can do that can make God love you any more or any less. His love is perfect right now. 
His love is unconditional and unchangeable and unfathomable. That's why God uses height and death as one of the analogies. It's not about how lovable you are. It's about how loving our God is. And really this plays out a thousand different ways in our lives, but let me just talk for one moment about worship. Worship is, uh, worship is, that is dedicated, um, worship that is dictated by how we feel in a particular moment. And I would say that many people have come into church, you, maybe you came in here today feeling a certain way and, and worship probably went a certain way based on how you feel. But, but I want you to understand something, that worship that is dictated by how we feel about ourselves more than how we feel about God is false worship. It is a worship based on our performance, which would make it then self-worship. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's, it's a worship based on a performance that makes it self-worship. It is dictated by how lovable we think we are instead of how loving we think God is. Do you see how subtle that is? See, if we aren't careful, our worship actually becomes an expression of how we are doing spiritually and whether or not we are winning in the day-in, uh, day day-out battle of temptation. But that's false worship. And self-worship, because it's dictated by our experience and by our performance. It's more about how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about God. Now I get it. Sometimes we have a hard time worshiping because we don't feel worthy. And that's not the issue. Is he worthy? Yes. He is worthy, and that means that our worship has to be dictated by who God is. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what is right with God. Don't fall into that trap. Let me be real honest and give you an example of all of this. There are days that I wake up and wonder, why does God allow me to do this? Why, why does God allow me? Why would he choose me to be a pastor? Why would he allow me to do this? Why would he let me lead a church and, and you all that are here in this room? There are times where I feel incredibly inadequate in my position. Fear almost kept me from embracing my identity, but it was my faith in God that allowed me to experience the goodness of God through planning this church. My confidence might not always be really high, but my sense of destiny is off the charts because God is ordering my footsteps. He is preparing good works in advance. I will live my life in a way where fear has no room and faith in God's promises will help to shape my identity as that I, in, in that I am more than a conqueror in him. One of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that, he, that we should walk in them. That's one of the things that kind of helps motivate and keep me going. Even when I feel inadequate with who I am, that reminds me that my identity is wrapped into God. And because of that, I can push forward, I can move forward, I can trust and have faith. I suspect that there are others in here this morning that struggle with believing that they are more than a conqueror. Or maybe you do believe that, but you struggle to realize that it's Christ that actually makes you that way. Maybe pride has blinded you. Maybe there are some in this room this morning that believe the lies and give in to the fears, think that, that, that you're a victim, that you're damaged goods. 
came to tell you today that God's love is greater than your pain. God's love is more powerful than your past. And if you put your faith in him, you'll realize your identity is that you are more than a conqueror. I just want to look at two more verses very quickly, backing up to, to Romans, uh, into the Romans 8 narrative. It says this, uh, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The Greek here actually reads better, since God is for us. That's actually the, the better way the Greek is read in that, in that translation. Since God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. God is for us and therefore no one can be against us. God foreknew us in love. He predestined us to sonship. He called us from death. He declared us righteous and he is working in us from one degree of glory to another until the day of Christ. Those two words, for us. I love that. If you're a believer here this morning, they should give you faith and confidence in God. This is the truth. We live forever, either with God against us or with God for us. That's the truth of eternity. And all of us in here who are in Christ can say with almost unspeakable joy, God is for us. He is on our side. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is entirely for us and never against us. You know what that means? None of our sickness is a judgment from a condemning judge. None of our broken cars or failed appliances is a punishment from God. None of our marital strife is a sign of his wrath. None of our lost jobs is a penalty for sin. None of our wayward children is a sign of God's retribution. If we are in Christ, he is for us. God is for us, not against us, in and through all things. This is, this is part of the gospel. All right, this is a little bit of the gospel. It's a little window into the gospel. But the next verse, verse 32, really nails it. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. I want to read uh, what, what John Piper wrote about this verse because it impacted me greatly and I wanted to to kind of share it. The point of verse 30, this is what he says. The point of verse 32 is that his love, <clears throat> is that this love of God uh, for his one and only son was like a massive Mount Everest uh, obstacle standing between him and our salvation. Uh, here was an obstacle almost insurmountable. His love for his son was almost insurmountable. Could God, would God overcome his cherishing, admiring, treasuring, white-hot, affectionate bond with his son and deliver him over to be lied about and betrayed and abandoned and mocked and flogged and beaten and spit on and nailed to a cross and pierced with a sword like an animal being butchered? Would he really do that? Would he hand over the son of his love? He goes on, if he would, then whatever goal he is pursuing could never be stopped. If he could do this, that could never be stopped. If that obstacle were overcome in the pursuit of his good, every obstacle would be overcome. That's so good. Because he did. God gave us his son. Jesus was beaten and killed, but Jesus conquered death. Jesus defeated the grave. Jesus gave the world hope. And because of him, we, if we choose to trust in him, then the, all of these verses that we've been reading in Romans 8 say that in Christ we have no fear, 
no despair, no, no adversary, no unmet need, no indictment, no condemnation, no separation, no defeat. We are more than conquerors, church. Can somebody praise the Lord this morning for that truth? We are more than conquerors. But here's the deal. I realize that not everyone in this theater knows the Jesus we're talking about. I mean, sure, you've heard of him. You know about him, but you don't know him. You don't truly know him. You are not yet a conqueror with Christ. You are not living by faith. You are living in fear, and you don't know where your identity is rooted. If that's you, friend, you can change that today. Today, you can make a decision to trust and put your faith in the name above every name, the name of Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do all across this room. I want us to all pray this prayer. If you're a believer, then what this prayer is doing is simply affirming what you already believe. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ for the very first time, then this prayer is a powerful and transformational moment for you. A moment that changes everything, not just for right now, not just for this week and this month and this year, but for all eternity. So I want all across this room, I want us to all join in in this prayer. Let's kind of repeat after me. God, today I am putting my trust and faith in you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die in my place and to forgive me of my sins. I am turning right now from my old life of sin. I am calling on your name, Jesus. And today I want to be made brand new. I want to leave the old life behind and become a new creation in you. I want to be more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning and truly meant what you prayed, then scripture says that now you are a new creation. Now you are more than a conqueror in Christ. And right now, all of heaven is rejoicing on your behalf. There is nothing special or biblical about you coming down. We're going we're gonna to sing and we're going to worship in a moment. We're going to praise God. We're going to lift our hands. We're going to have a great time closing this gathering out. There's nothing special about you coming down and talking to a pastor or talking to somebody about a decision you made. Uh, there's nothing biblical about it. But if you chose to follow Jesus today or if you need prayer or if you want to respond in any way to what we've discussed this morning, then please come talk to me. I just want to pray with you, pray for you, celebrate with you, and I'll be just in the middle. Otherwise, I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to pray. We're going to worship together. We're going to praise God in this house. We're going to give it all to him in these last moments. So we're going to stand up and get ready to worship.